Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. True or false, the two-party system is making America ungovernable. Let's have it out. That's what we are here to debate under the auspices of Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. We are at the Skirball Center for the Performing Arts at New York University, where we have two teams of debaters, two members each. Ariana Huffington and David Brooks are arguing for the motion. They want to convince you that the two-party system is making America ungovernable. Here to try to make nonsense of that argument, their opponents, Zev Chaffetz and P.J. O'Rourke. Now, this is a debate. There will be a winner and a loser. And you, our live audience here at the Skirball Center, will be the judges. By the time the debate has ended, we will have asked you to vote two times, once before you've heard the arguments and once again afterward. And the team that has changed the most minds will be declared our winner. So on to round one, opening statements by each debater in turn. And here to argue, to convince you that the two-party system is making America ungovernable, Ariana Huffington, now president and editor-in-chief of the Huffington Post Media Group. Interestingly, Ariana, you were born in a country that now has five viable parties in its parliament. You came of age intellectually in a country that has three viable parties in its parliament. You're now living in a country that has two parties. Is there a trend, meaningful trend? <laughs> Yes, I'm fast moving towards one-party rule. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Arianna Huffington. Thank you so much. Uh, David and I are here to convince you that, indeed, the two-party system has rendered this country ungovernable. And the evidence is all around us. Wherever you look, you see that we can only produce suboptimal solutions to our deepest crisis. And, you know, for many, many years, we've kind of postponed solving our big problems. We've postponed dealing with our deficit. We've postponed dealing with the decline of the middle class. We've postponed dealing with our crumbling infrastructure. We've postponed dealing with our deteriorating education system. Well, we can no longer keep postponing dealing with these problems. So while the two-party system might have been okay during ordinary times, we are not living in ordinary times right now. And the problem with the two-party system is that it has made us really all prisoners of conventional wisdom. It's made us kind of look at every political problem through that obsolete prism of right versus left. In fact, our political problems are not susceptible to that easy, completely reductionist way of looking at them. Let's take Afghanistan. The media consider anybody who wants to leave Afghanistan as a lefty. In fact, George Will, the Cato Institute, Pat Buchanan, Joe Scarborough, and many conservative intellectuals see no reason 
for us to be pursuing an unwinnable war at huge expense. Let's look at reforming Wall Street. There are many good capitalists who sleep with a copy of Ayn Rand's books under their pillow. (laughs) Nevertheless, the two-party system makes that kind of thinking impossible. But look around. The favorability ratings of the two parties are constantly declining. We now have Dems at about 39% favorability rating and Republicans at 34%. And the last election, despite all the attention, despite all the media hoopla, only 42% of the electorate voted. And, you know, John Adams kind of predicted what would happen when he said that there is nothing I dread so much as a division of the republic into two great parties, each arranged under its leader and converting measures in opposition to each other. And the rise of social media, the rise of the Internet, has made it possible for young people especially to connect with each other, to opt out often of politics and try to find solutions in their own communities bypassing the political system. That's not ultimately healthy because democracy is not a spectator sport. If we're going to overcome all these things, we need to actually bring more competition and more voices and fresh thinking to our political system. Because as Einstein put it, to paraphrase him, the problems that we are facing right now cannot be solved at the same level of thinking that created them. Thank you. Thank you, Arianna Huffington. Our motion is the two-party system is making America ungovernable. And here to speak against the motion is P.J. O'Rourke, a journalist, a political satirist. Does it say that on your business card? Yes. He's the author of 13 books, including Don't Vote, It Just Encourages the Bastards. Ladies and gentlemen, P.J. O'Rourke. Thank you. You know, I agree with Ariana about the utter cowardice and perfect ineffectuality of the two major political parties in dealing with any of the political problems that we face. And I would simply concede the debate if I were able to imagine some other political party or independent candidate who would do a better job. It's like trying to imagine a politician who would get up on the campaign stump and say, I can't fix public education. The problem isn't underfunding or overcrowding or teachers' unions or absence of computer equipment in in the classroom. The problem is your damn kids. The problem is us damn voters. It's not not our political parties, be they few or many. We have voted ourselves more government benefits than we care to pay for. And we're broke. And, you know, so are all the other democracies in the world, uh, no matter how many political parties they have. Now, I would argue in favor of America's two-party system, not because of America's two political parties, but because America doesn't really have political parties at all. I mean, if American party platforms were backyard tree forts, you would not let your children climb in them. (laughs) What we have in America is two fundraising mechanisms for a pair of general human tendencies. Democrats are the party that says government can make us all richer, smarter, taller, thinner, get the crabgrass out of our lawns, you know? The Republicans are the party that says government doesn't work, and then they get elected and they prove it. (laughs) Now, if the key question is governability, 
Two-party system, yeah, done pretty well by world historical systems, little glitch in 1860, but, you know. Um, and we're used to the idea uh, of political parties causing civil wars, Spain, Vietnam, Nicaragua. But, you know, in the case of our own civil war, uh, both the Whigs and the Democrats split on the issue of slavery, thereby, in fact, actually delaying our civil war for more than a decade, and may, which may very well have ensured that the right side won in our civil war. Our two political parties, silly and stupid as they may be, uh, they have shown an ability to uh, reconstitute or replace themselves when the nation needs it most. To be completely outside the two-party system just deprives candidates of any need for a sort of broad appeal, which is why America's third parties have been weird. Anti-Masonic party, trying to keep my dad from wearing a fez and riding around on a tiny motorcycle. You know, uh, the Greenback Party. They wanted money to be worth less. That dream came through. You know, I, I, it's, uh, you know, you know. In the matter of political systems, never believe that they can't get worse. And in the matter of our two-party political system, I would say, dance with the one that brung you. Thank you, thank you, P.J. O'Rourke. Here's where we are. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. We have four debaters, two teams of two, who are fighting it out over this motion. The two-party system is making America ungovernable. To argue that the two-party system is making America ungovernable, I want to introduce David Brooks, columnist, op-ed columnist from the New York Times and a commentator on the NewsHour. And, um, David, I find it interesting that your debating partner, your teammate, Ariana Huffington, started on the right and moved to the left, and you as a uh, young man making your way through the world started on the left and moved to the right. What, what happened in your case? Uh, wisdom. <laughs> uh, Ladies and gentlemen, David Brooks. Ariana, I can't explain. So Ariana spoke about the broad dysfunction of our parties. I'm going to speak about the narrow uh, dysfunction. I cover politicians very closely, and I can tell you from this context, uh, politicians are all emotional freaks of one sort or another. Uh, They have what I call lageria dementia, which is they talk so much they drive themselves insane. Uh, But they do have these intense social antennae. Nonetheless, I would say in general, they're better people than one would anticipate. Most of them are in it for the right reason. But they're stuck in a rotten system. They're stuck in our current two-party system, which forces them to behave in ways that are worse than they are. First of all, they cannot be entrepreneurial. They cannot think for themselves because they have to hew the party line. They get every Tuesday, they go to a lunch, they get the message of the week, they have to parrot the message of the week. It's a soul suck. They can't behave nicely or even get to know the people in the other party because they're unofficial barriers. Ariana talked about how the big problems are therefore not addressed because they are stuck in these little trenches. I would talk about today's story, the issue of the budget. We are facing a fiscal meltdown in this country, and if you took individuals outside the party context that we have now, I bet we could all cut a deal. We could figure out what taxes need to go up and what spending needs to go down. But we're stuck in this dysfunctional marriage where, first of all, 85% of the budget is completely off the table because neither party wants to touch it. And this problem has been building and building and building. We are completely unable to solve it because the Republicans refuse to raise taxes, which is going to have to happen. The Democrats refuse to talk about Medicare and Social Security. We are stuck, and we are heading toward a national disaster. So the first thing we need to do is firstly get out of the system where we're stuck in these party ruts. The second thing we have to do is mobilize independence. 
we probably need a third party, but we certainly need a de-alignment. We need more movements to come in and affect the parties. So people are less hewn to these tribal parties, and that's what the parties have become. They are no longer the normal political groupings that they were 20 or 30 years ago. They've become tribes where your honor is attached to your tribe, and any compromise seems like a sign of shame and dishonor, and therefore they're not willing to do it. And then finally, we need a philosophy. We've got two parties in this country, but we've got three movements. The first movement is a liberal movement that believes in using government to enhance equality. The second movement is a conservative movement that believes in limited government to enhance freedom. But starting at the foundation of our republic, there was a movement starting with Alexander Hamilton, going up to Abraham Lincoln, going up to Teddy Roosevelt, which believed in limited but energetic government to enhance social mobility. That centrist movement is completely unrepresented by the two parties, and yet it's where the largest percentage of Americans are. So if you think, if you take a look at the fiscal situation, if you take a look at some of these big issues, and you can see our current two-party system leading to a solution, you can vote for those guys. But if you can't see a plausible way out of our problems, I suggest you vote for us. Thank you. Thank you, David Brooks. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Stay with us. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Welcome back to the program. Our motion at this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, the two-party system is making America ungovernable. And here to argue against the motion, Zev Chaffetz, a columnist, the author of 12 books, the founding editor of the Jerusalem Report. Interesting to note, uh, we're talking about two-party system, Israel has proportional representation with, at this point, how many parties represented in Parliament? Fourteen. And how's that working out? Great. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Zev Chaffetz. People always say and have always said that uh, America is ungovernable and that these are times, as Ariana put it, which are extraordinary or different than other times and require extraordinary and brand new solutions. Uh, But America has always been in unusual times. That's how it always seems to people when they're alive, that they're living in unprecedented times. Uh, In the 1920s, America confronted the prohibition, which made it seem that the country was ungovernable and also, uh, you know, no place to get a drink. Um, uh, In the 1930s, there was a depression in this country, which uh, was far worse than the economic situation uh, that obtains today, obviously. In the 1940s, America was able to mobilize itself uh, to go to war against Nazi Germany and Japan, even though there was a strong sentiment in this country not to go to war, an America first sentiment, which was overcome. Uh, In the 1950s, we all, those of us who are old enough to remember, used to hide under our desks. But in the event, America won the Cold War. Um, In the 1960s, the halcyon days of our youth, of my team anyway, Um, we not only were living in an ungovernable society, but we were contributing to it, uh, and happily. The 1970s were Watergate, a disaster. It was the end of American democracy. A president was forced to step down. Never happened before. Uh, Somehow the country survived those extraordinary times. And what brought it through each time was the two-party system, which is the stable and consistent system in this country. It's what provides stability for the United States. 
The American system is a resilient system. And the notion that it, this country is ungovernable is a media trope. It's not true. I can prove it to you if you want with statistics. The world, is it the World Bank? I'm not so good at, at my notes here. Uh, <laughs> because they're in Hebrew and who can read? <laughs> Seriously, I'm reading backwards. It's not funny. My, oh, here it is. Okay, the World Bank. Index has, it has a thing called the Index of Governability, which is so handy for a debate like this. <laughs> the World Bank takes into account uh, one, two, three, four, five metrics. Accountability in voice, effectiveness of the government, uh, the quality of regulation, the rule of law, and uh, the control of corruption. In all of those indices, uh, the United States scores above the 90th percentile in the world, uh, which is an A. In other words, the American system is a, uh, in compared, if you say compared to, to what, in compared to, you know, utopia, it's a replaceable system. If you compare it to the rest of the systems in the world, it's, uh, it's a pretty good system. And it has lasted uh, a very long time. Thank you, Zeb Jaffetz. Your time is up. Thank, Thank you. you. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. The team arguing for the motion has been arguing that, that we are stuck in, as, as they have put it, an obsolete prism of right and left. And the team arguing has been saying, well, actually, we've been stuck before uh, in our long history, and we had a two-party system, and we worked through those crises, and the crises we're facing now are no more daunting relative to the system, and we'll get through again. I want to put to P.J. O'Rourke, I don't know if you're a, a founding father kind of guy, but your, your opponents have quoted John Adams as saying he dreaded the thought of uh, the, poli- the body politic dividing into a two-party system. And, and they're arguing that there's no room for many voices when uh, the structure is right and left. Can you take on that argument? Well, uh, Washington went, 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 went further uh, than that. I, I have his quote around here someplace, written also in Hebrew. <laughs> but, uh, um, Washington warned against the spirit of party, period. He didn't, he, he didn't go so far as to just worry about two. And I would say that Americans themselves have always been a bit dubious uh, about both of the major political tendencies. And there is no golden period that we can go back to in American history to find uh, uh, you know, some sort of political system that would be better for us. The, the original uh, divide between Jefferson and the Democrats and, and, and the Federalists, Jefferson and Democrats were an unholy alliance of New York demagogues and Southern slave owners who favored states' rights. Meanwhile, the supposedly more respectable Federalists were the authors of the Alien Naturalization, Alien, and Sedition Acts and the first major political witch hunt uh, in the United States. I think Americans have always been quite aware that both parties stink. Um, All right, well, let, let, let me bring in Arianne Huffington to pick up on that. You know, PJ, I would argue that if we really believed what you believe now throughout the course of American history, we would never have made any moves towards a more perfect union. Because when we had slavery, you would say, you know, it's as good as it gets. When women didn't have the vote, you would say, well, you know, it could have been worse. 
when we didn't have, when African Americans could not vote, you would say, well, you know, just think of it. In other countries, you know, it's just infinitely worse. And the World Bank probably would have given us an A rating. <laughs> I don't know, that, 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 that World Bank A rating really worries me. Um, you know, the idea that we are not living through unprecedented times, you know, is an unbelievably elitist, uh, idea but that can be, no, no, let me just finish because okay. this is like from people who are comfortable. But just look at what's happening. You know, a hundred million Americans right now are worse off than their parents were. So you're, at a so you're saying, age. Ariana, we are in an ungoverned a situation that Absolutely. reflects ungovernability, and also that uh, throughout our history, we've all of, we've always aim to do better. We believe that Zev we can Chaffetz, do better. Zev are, are we, are we in the mess, the, the mess of, of absolute gridlock that I think is being described by your opponents? Well, I think that Ariana put it very, uh, very well. Um, there was a time when there was slavery, and there was a time when women couldn't vote. And all those things no longer are the case. They all changed. And they all changed under the two-party system, which is the subject that we're debating tonight. So, David Brooks, why is it different this time? Uh, because it wasn't always thus. Uh, If you go back to, say, 30 years ago, and you look at the two parties, in the first place, the two parties overlapped. Now they do not. There's no common ground between them. In the second place, if you look at the things they were able to do, like tax reform in 1986, you had a whole series of bipartisan agreements. If you cover Congress the way I do, you had in those days a whole series of personal relationships. That simply doesn't exist, and that's so one you, of the you reasons... So you think there was something of a golden era, a silver era? No, there was a period of constructive competition. They fought. Aaron Burr killed Alexander Hamilton. I, I regard that as highly polarizing. Uh, you know, uh, but, but they fought to balance each other's weaknesses, and now they, don't f- they fight to stagnate. I think this is a normal uh, uh, – the the bipartisan ideal is always like a little worrisome to me. I consider actually the two most dangerous words in Washington to be bipartisan consensus. It's kind of like when my my, my wife and and my doctor and my lawyer all agree that I need help. I just – it just – it concerns me a little bit. I'm, I'm glad to sit here and criticize the two-party system. I, I don't have that much good to say about it. The alternative. What is the alternative? My biggest concern is that in a multi-party system, it leads to power in small, screwy ideologies. You know, well, the let me, garden let me put to the side arguing, party. For, arguing that you think that the system is making America ungovernable. Are you arguing for a better functioning two-party system, or are you arguing for a multi-party system? Well, we are arguing for something that will shake up the current dysfunctional system. But what? And that, but what? Well, here, I don't want the, the Garden Gnome Party no. holding the balance of power. Ariana has the mic. Garden Gnomes everywhere. Let Ariana have the mic. <laughs> but the truth at the moment is that as an immigrant to this country, as somebody who has lived the American dream, I'm fully aware of the fact that the American dream is dying for millions of Americans. I have two daughters in college, and a growing number of their friends are graduating from college and they can't get jobs. We have 26 million Americans at the moment who are either unemployed or underemployed, and we don't have any plan that the two parties seem to be capable of of how to bring jobs about. So there is a huge dysfunctionality.
quality. And the results are really incredibly profound. I mean, they are changing the nature of this country. Upward mobility has been at the heart of the American dream. Now we are number 10 when it comes to upward mobility. We are behind France and Germany, excuse me, but being behind France in upward mobility is like France being behind us in croissants and afternoon sex. But, <laughs> but, but, but to, PJ's, to PJ's point about the school, it's just your dumb kids. Why is that about the two-party system and not about everything else? Well, the idea that it's dumb kids that are the problem is just, you know, it's just charming PJ. I mean, whatever PJ says is charming because he's funny, but it's not true. <laughs> and that's our debate for this evening. <laughs> Zev Chaffetz, come on in. Well, I, I would say not true is, uh, th- that's pretty definitive. The uh, notion of being in a debate with Ariana Huffington arguing that American has lost its ability to have upward mobility is a startling experience. (laughs) And I want to say something about David's uh, notion about bipartisanship. Two things quickly. First of all, polarization is a good thing, not a bad thing. In countries where you don't have polarized political debate, you have no debate. Civility does not equal democracy. And the other thing about this uh, golden age of uh, advice and consent, when uh, all the congressmen got together, the senators got together and had cocktails and so on, and there's no bipartisanship anymore, I just want to say the following words. No child left behind, which was passed in a bipartisan way, the Medicaid prescription, Medicare prescription, the Bush tax cuts, the Iraq war, which, like it or not, was a, bi- a bipartisan uh, affair, the health care bill, which was passed uh, in a, in a all right, let me, monopart- I, in a We get where you're going, David Brooks. Yeah. Yeah. All of these things have been passed in the last 10 years. Right, David first, Brooks. First, first on, on the civility point, system. screw off, you fat bastard. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, let's go, let's go. Uh, no, I believe in conflict. I, I, I'm a columnist. Conflict is fine with me, and uh, I'm fine with that, as long as it's constructive. The problem is we have parties that don't represent the country. And you've got vast numbers of people whose views are not basically represented. So the country is, is still a bell curve country. And so you don't have construction. Uh, you don't have constructive competition, which would be us talking and then reaching an agreement after an hour. You just have, eh. David, can I just say that in the last Jeff election, Jacobs. the Republicans nominated uh, John McCain. More, a more reasonable Republican than that would be hard to find. And the Democrats nominated Barack Obama. That's what you have. Those are the two uh, leaders of the, of, the, of the major parties, at least until the next election. I don't think that you can make the case that these are extremists who don't talk to one another who, or who aren't civil with Compare one another. Compare pre-nomination John McCain to post-nomination John McCain and see what a, a guy has to do to get elected. Ariana Huffington, is, you, you, said, you said democracy cannot be a spectator sport. Your opponents are saying that Americans by nature are not ideological. Maybe those two things are not necessarily in conflict with each other. But do you, do you take their point that for the most part Americans aren't that into politics? Americans don't believe that their current political system is working. That's why you have 37% of Americans who are registered as independents, because they don't believe our current two-party system is delivering what the country needs. And increasingly, young people who really do want to 
find solutions to our problems, are choosing civic engagement instead of political engagement. We have long uh, waiting lists for people to join Teach for America. So it's not as if they've given up on making the world better. I mean, PJ and Zev may have given up on making the world better, but (laughs) young people haven't. They just don't see the political route through the two-party system as the way to make the world better. But if we give up on making the world better, then we might as well give up on everything. You know, I mean, I think in the end, Churchill was right. He said Americans can be counted to do the right thing after they have exhausted all other possibilities. (laughs) And the the two-party system is one of the other possibilities we have now exhausted. You know, I just don't, I don't at all feel fatalist about this. I, I, and I don't feel like, like standing pat. I think we are in the middle of a huge fight. I think Tea Party is a very good example. I keep waiting for the Democratic Party to have the equivalent. I hope that it, that it will. I think we're in the midst of a political realignment going on in the United States. I think our opponents uh, uh, mistake a current situation for a permanent situation. I still keep waiting for hearing what is the alternative to the system that we have now. Uh, I'm I'm open to the idea that there might be an alternative, but I'm not hearing any alternative. I'm hearing merely a criticism of the system that we've got now. Well, that's all they actually need to prove. Exactly. (laughs) But it it does raise the point. (laughs) But But it's a very, very important point that I think the audience will want to hear from you, Ariana, as opposed to what? The primary way is to allow more competition, you know, freedom-based system. We believe in competition in everything except politics. When it comes to politics, you've got to pick your party and run with your party and actually espouse whatever the party is, is um, stands for at that particular moment. One election cycle, it may be abortion or no abortion. That's not the way to fundamentally change the conditions we are all living under. Question. Gentleman with the glasses and necktie. Thank you very much. This is terrific. My question is to the panelists in favor of the resolution. Given the fact that the two-party system happened by itself, how exactly would you get rid of it, or perhaps worse, what would you impose? Well, I, I'm first, I do, I, not necessarily for realignment, but, but dealignment. We're seeing all sorts of social movements that are growing up organically, like the Tea Party, like the Obama movement, like Move On. I'd like to see a lot more of those uh, movements in order to loosen up the parties. And the second thing, I do think there has been a historical tradition, which I talked about, from Hamilton to Lincoln uh, and maybe to moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats today, the very few that exist, that tradition is unrepresented by our, par- by our politics. And I think that long American historic tradition deserves a voice. Zef Chaffetz, your opponent. Well, first of all, I want to take issue with the characterization of the Obama movement. Obama was the nominee of the Democratic Party. He wasn't a movement candidate. He was a candidate of one of the two major parties. Um, Had he been only a movement candidate, he would have gotten 3% of the vote or 5% of the vote or whatever movement candidates get, in my opinion. Let's go to another question. One of the reasons that the parties seem to have so much more power now is the control of the money. Even though there have been attempts to do campaign finance reform, we seem to be moving even further away from, from that goal rather than to trying to diffuse some of that. How do you respond to that, and is that affecting our two-party system today? Ariana, you write about it a lot. I think, I think that's a very um, 
very important point, and especially with the Citizens United decision, as you said, we see the stronghold of money on our political system, the power of special interests, the fact that we have dozens of lobbies per member of Congress. All those things have made us ungovernable, because even when um, we have mining reform, for example, then you go back and look at how it was all watered down to the point where the Virginia mining disaster could happen. Even when you have regulators living inside Lehman Brothers of of Fannie and Freddie, they were not able to prevent the regulatory capture that allowed the financial meltdown to happen. We have the greatest increase in poverty in the suburbs at the moment. We are becoming a third world country, and if we don't pay attention now, then it's going to be too late. And that's why this is the time to sound the alarm, recognize that we have become ungovernable, and change the system. All right, more questions from the audience when we come back. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. The motion is, the two-party system is making America ungovernable. Panelists arguing for and against this motion include New York Times columnist David Brooks, Huffington Post founder Ariana Huffington, and satirist P.J. O'Rourke. Stay with us. We are back at this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. Our motion is the two-party system is making America ungovernable. Arguing for the motion, we have Arianna Huffington and David Brooks. Arguing against, Zev Chaffetz and P.J. O'Rourke. And going to a question from the audience, gentlemen. My question is for the, uh, the side in favor of it. In my native Canada, there's about 80,000 people for every uh, member of parliament. And we have a chance to meet them. Uh, much more than here, where there's about 800,000 people for every for every member or for every member of the house, and I'm wondering if it's a problem with the two-party system, or is is the country just too large to be governed? There are many multi-party countries in Northern Europe that are much better governed than us, okay. but they're smaller. I, I guess I would say uh, first, I was born in Canada, Bula Bula. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm actually not sure that's it because members of Congress fly home every weekend. That's one of the reasons their lives are so miserable. And they hold town meetings. Uh, and, a, and a lot of places, I'm at the flight, not the getting there. Uh, uh, they hold town meetings, and if they can get 30 or 50 people to show up, they're happy. They love to meet people. They spend a lot of time meeting people. I don't think that's it. I, think, I don't think it's when they go home that the problem is. I think it's when they come to Washington and are surrounded by a psychological vortex. I just want to make that explicit. I think the psychology within the parties has changed. And, Peter, I think you're almost arguing that the bluntness uh, by design of a, of a large system of two parties that you feel have a lot of ideological overlap is perfect for a gigantic country like this one. Well, I, I think that, that it is because I, I, I think that the uh, intrusion of, uh, of third parties and, and other interests just has a tendency to act as a sort of spoiler uh, situation, basically throwing the you know the race to George W. Bush in, in, instead of to Al Gore, who would have been such a wonderful president. Uh, is the, uh, the uh, I do I do think it, it, it suits us. It, one of the problems, of course, is when we when we face a kind of crisis like we have at the moment that is both extremely pressing and yet, unlike Pearl Harbor, is not perfectly immediate. Our system is extremely slow to respond. Uh, Do we want to live in a country with a political system that is a little too slow to respond, or do we want to live in one of those countries where the political system is a little too quick to respond? 
I pick slowness myself. Would you like to respond, Ariane yeah, Huffington? Because uh, it depends on the kind of problems we're facing. Uh, the problems that we're facing now and how serious they are when it comes to unemployment, when it comes to foreclosures, when it comes to bankruptcies, when it comes to the fact that growing numbers of kids can't afford college and if they graduate from college can't get jobs. I mean, these are serious problems. And they are also leading to a kind of political instability and a kind of demonizing our opponents, which always happens during times of deep economic anxiety, whether it was the 1880s when we were expelling Chinese workers or the 1930s when we were expelling um, Hispanic workers who were actually American citizens. You see what the problems are when we are not taking steps to deal with them in a timely manner. Okay, I'm going to go to another question. And uh... Hi. Um... I think this uh, this debate is great, but I think one of the concerns that a lot of people have is how do you shift away from a two-party system? Um, basically, how do you cope with the Nader effect where um, the balance becomes shift too far in one direction as you're trying to divide the parties? I, I would say that even though we don't have to take... Um that question on in order to win the debate. We, we are very willing to take that question on. And, uh, you know, there are, there are many voting measures that could be put in place if the two-party system did not have a stronghold on the current electoral system that would make it possible, for example, if you voted for Ralph Nader and Ralph Nader did not win for your vote to go to your second choice. I mean, that is a completely plausible system that can be implemented immediately if the two parties did not, uh, did not prevent it from being implemented. So again, also, David Brooks. I mean, just another rule is non-party primaries. I mean, if you look at the, the, the most disaffected people, they're not actually where Nader is or uh, not where libertarians are. They're in the middle. 37% of the country basically feels disaffected. But they have no candidates to vote for in general elections because they're just not offered them. And if you had non-party primaries, they, you'd have a better shot. They'd have a voice. And that's a point that I brought to you before from their argument that you didn't really respond to, is that they're talking about the system as it is, really leaving, out, leaving people with such distasteful choices that they don't have choices, and that that's a, that's a lot of people, and that that's a, um, they feel a major flaw in a democracy. Zev Chavitz? Yeah, and in multi-party systems, there are many people who also don't feel that they're represented by any of the parties. And I, having lived in a country that has 14 parties, I can tell you that I didn't find any that represented me. <laughs> Uh, that's a, you know, that's a sort of inherent problem of democracy. If you have a party that fits the taste of every person or every group of people, uh, you'll have hundreds or a multiplicity of parties that will make it impossible to govern. Okay, and gentlemen in the center. At uh, NYU, we have the privilege to have some very good faculty, including um, Professor Stephen J. Brahms, who talks about approval voting, which is um, one of the systems they talked about, where if your first choice doesn't get elected, your voice goes to your second choice and down the line. Um, it produces more democratic outcomes. And my question is, um, why would this be a negative thing to institute? I, you know, I, don't, I don't have any inherent ob- objection to this. Uh, I think it's interesting that we're hearing the solutions to the problem posited here more from the audience than from the other side. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, one of the beauties of America's federalist system, of our, of our, of our highly decentralized system with all sorts of uh, – states are essentially in charge uh, of voting laws. States have enormous latitude. And the fact that we have this flexible system 
uh, would allow us to try things out like that. Uh, maybe they would work beautifully and would produce the kind of, pr- uh, of results that, that you think that they might. Uh, maybe uh, I, they would uh, produce perverse and bizarre results. Uh, I'm, but I'm, we'd I'm, find out. I'm thinking you know? your opponents are saying, though, that the, the system, that the, the way the system runs now has such a stranglehold on the way the system runs now that those reforms are unlikely to be put into place. Am I anticipating? Well, I mean, let's take this case right David here. David a five foot six inch Jewish guy who runs this city, uh, Mayor Bloomberg. He thought about running. Is he Jewish? <laughs> who knew? I'm amazed he's five foot six. <laughs> so he thought about running for president. And he has some money, I hear. Uh, and so he thought, well, you know, and there are a lot of people who are disaffected. So could I win? And then he thought, well, I could win some states, probably not all of them, but I could win some. And then it would get thrown into the House of Representatives. Uh, in a body staffed entirely by Republicans and Democrats. There's no way they're going to vote for me. And so he was dissuaded from running as a third-party candidate by the fact that the two parties have a stranglehold on the presidential process. And this is bad? <laughs> he might be, I'll live here. <laughs> he might be a great president, by the way. I have no reason to think that he wouldn't be, and I might vote for him. But uh, the fact that a guy with $16 billion can't become president of the United States simply by buying the election. Does that strike me as a flaw in the Democratic the other guys who raised $500 million? Yeah. And if you could stand up, please. Uh, you're all the most qualified people to respond to this. In point of fact, it's not a two-party system because there are other parties on the voting ballots. But it's the problem, the media, which makes people think it's only a two-party system. It seems like there's very little coverage of third-party candidates unless they're eccentric. David Brooks. Well, you know, I, I do this for a living, and I sometimes go on TV shows, and the TV shows I happen to go on are, are some of the best on TV, the News Hour with Jim Lehrer, which is much less partisan shouting than most. Uh, and yet the shows all of us are on uh, are you're either the Republican seat or the Democratic seat. And I've been very struck by, I think when I started doing this, people would say, are you conservative or liberal? Now people come up to me, are you Republican or Democrat? The label Republican or Democrat has supplanted conservative or liberal. It's not what you believe, it's what team you're on. I don't really feel that. I mean, I feel I happen to be a Republican, but I am primarily a libertarian conservative. And when I go on shows not quite the same quality of shows (laughs) that goes on... (laughs) Um, my place, I'm on Bill Maher, <laughs> the, uh, uh, my place is there as a sort of, uh, of kooky libertarian uh, uh, conservative, a guy who's really, really conservative, really, really Republican, but, uh, you know, thinks about marijuana. Uh, it's a drug that makes teenage boys drive slow. And <laughs> what's wrong with that? <laughs> and that, that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. <laughs> And here's where we are. We are about to hear closing statements from each debater in turn. Those closing statements will be two minutes each. And remember, um, you voted before the debate, and you're going to be asked to vote again right afterwards, and this is their last chance to change your minds. So on to round three, closing statements. Our motion is the two-party system is making America ungovernable. Here to speak against the motion, P.J. O'Rourke, political satirist, journalist, and author of 13 books, including Don't Vote, It Just Encourages the Bastards. Okay. Our vague and sloppy 
political system keeps America away from abstract political theories. And all 20th century was an experiment in abstract political theory, vigorously applied in places like Italy, Germany, Spain, Russia, China, North Korea, Cuba, and among some of my loonier friends who joined the Weather Underground. You know? Away from abstract political theory is a good place to be. Our compromised and compromising system with its messy conflicts and its fitful bipartisanship keeps governance close to real life because, in reality, we all contain within ourselves elements of the Democrat and the Republican. We are conservatives when we catch the kids smoking pot, and we're quite liberal when we catch ourselves doing it. You know? <laughs> No one ever says, oh, goody, when it's time to pay taxes, and no one ever turns down a government benefit. You know? Abandoning the two-party system would mean abandoning a great truth, the truth that we're all of two minds about politics. You know? Greater certainty in our political opinions would mean more politics, more arguments, more strife. We don't need that. We've got enough. Giving up on the lame old political generalities of Democrats and Republicans would make politics more important in America. You know? Indeed, my closing argument is a simple plea for personal mercy. I've been covering American politics for 40 years. Two parties is as many as I can stand. <laughs> Thank you, P.J. O'Rourke. Our motion is the two-party system is making America ungovernable. And here to speak for the motion, Arianna Huffington, president and editor-in-chief of the Huffington Post Media Group. Basically, the two-party system is like a stale marriage. Democrats and Republicans need something to spice it up. They need to go on Craigslist and find a third party. <laughs> and, and if that third party isn't wearing a shirt, they really should do a background check. <laughs> because he may turn out to be a member of Congress, and you don't want to go there. So I remember in 2000, I organized the shadow conventions. The shadow conventions were intended to address issues that the two political parties were not addressing. And those issues were the growing income inequalities, the failed war on drugs that has put more African-Americans in jail than they have jobs at the moment, and also the problem that was addressed here tonight of campaign finance reform and the desperate need to do that. Since 2000, all these problems have gotten worse. And they have gotten worse because the two-party system has made this country ungovernable. And unless you give up on the idea of America becoming a more perfect union, unless you give up on the idea of us being able to really live up to the American dream of our ancestors, then you got to vote with David and me. Thank you, Arianna Huffington. Our motion is the two-party system is making America ungovernable. Here to summarize his position against the motion, Sev Chaffetz, a columnist and author of 12 books and founding editor of the Jerusalem Report. Uh, 99 years ago, a guy stood up at a political convention, a third-party convention, and he said, we stand at Armageddon and we battle for the Lord. That was Teddy Roosevelt. Armageddon was Woodrow Wilson. It's always Armageddon for people who have that tendency. And it's good that there are people who think it's Armageddon because they push. That's a good thing. But tonight we're talking about a specific motion. 
which is uh, that the two-party system is making America ungovernable. In order for you to vote for that, you have to agree to two things. You have to agree that America is becoming ungovernable, or perhaps it is already, as Ayanna said in the beginning, has become ungovernable. I don't think that that's the case. I don't think that any of you who came here today traveled through a space which anyone could regard as ungovernable. America is a highly governed country. It has flaws. It has problems. It has economic uh, inequalities. All of these things have existed, and they'll continue to exist. They're part of the human condition. America needs to be a more perfect society. It can't be a perfect society. The second proposition that you have to agree to, even if you think that the world, that America as you know it, is ungovernable, ungovernable, you have to believe that the reason that it's ungovernable, that the HP disaster took place and the Virginia mining disaster took place and all the other disasters took place is because of the two-party system. And I don't really think that you can make that case. And therefore, I implore you to vote for our side. Thank you, Zef Chaffetz. Our motion, the two-party system is making America ungovernable. And here to summarize his position in favor of this motion, David Brooks, New York Times op-ed columnist, commentator on the NewsHour, and coming out in a matter of weeks with a new book called The Social Animal. Uh, Many of you have been looking at our side at our table and thought, those two are so much alike. Ariana's a glamorous woman with continental manners. I aspire to be the fittest fat person in America. Ariana created a business in which people write for free, and she sold it for more than $300 million. I have three credit cards, one of which I can use at any time. Ariana and I agree on most things. In fact, I I think I can safely say I agree with Zev and PJ a lot more than I agree with Ariana. Uh, And yet, if Ariana and I sat in a room and talked about the big issues facing our country, I bet we could reach some plausible solutions. But if we were elected to the two parties as they currently exist... We would never get in the same room. So when I take a look at the issues that are before us, immigration, a vital issue about which the two parties can reach no agreement. Debt, a vital issue about which the two parties can reach no agreement. Wage stagnation and inequality, a long-growing issue about which the two parties can reach no agreement. These are all concrete issues that are right here in front of us. If you see a way for our current two-party system If you see an avenue for them to reach agreement and solutions on these issues, even imperfect solutions, well, then vote for the guys in the red ties. Uh, But if you don't, vote for the glamorous side. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, David Brooks. And that concludes our closing statements. And now it's time to find out which side you feel argued best. We want to ask you again to register your vote. Reminding you, you voted once before, and the team that has changed the most minds after this vote will be declared our winner. And we're going to have the votes in just a minute. I have thoroughly enjoyed this debate like perhaps none other. This group has been absolutely terrific. I want to thank them. Okay, so it's all in now. Remember, our motion is is the two-party system is making America ungovernable. Before the debate, 46% were for the motion, 24% against, and 30% were undecided. After the debate, 50% were for the motion. That's up 4%. 40% were against. That's up 16%. And 10% were undecided. The team arguing against the motion, the two-party system is making America ungovernable, has carried the debate. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. 
This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, presented by the Rosencrantz Foundation, was held at New York University's Skirball Center for the Performing Arts. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Dana Wolf is the executive producer. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.iq2us.org. And become a fan of Intelligence Squared U.S. on Facebook. Sign up and receive 15% off tickets to our live events. Just go to www.facebook.com forward slash think2twice. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR.